Hey everybody, it is episode 27 of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is Chris joining you, and as always, we've got Steve here. Hey Steve. Hello world. We are going to talk summer training today. It is June in Texas, in Austin, and we've had some already very, very brutal mornings. Shit's getting hot. (laughs) And afternoons. We haven't hit triple digits yet, I don't think, but we've been darn near close at 99, 98. But our humidity has been off the chain. Usually by this time we were were drying out, right? It has. we've We've also had some weird weeks where it's been cool on a wednesday and then mightily hot on a saturday and we mean cool i mean we're like 75 degrees is the high i mean if you're in central texas and 75 degrees the high in may and that's crazy it is it's been crazy weather but i'll leave alone all the political implications of that <laughs> statement but because of that heat as it, especially as it approaches for us i mean for in, in texas we go until october sometimes when you're getting hammered i remember a couple years ago on November 1st, I took a picture of my car thermometer because it showed triple digits and I was just done with it. <laughs> so you got to learn to not only adapt to the heat, but also perhaps modify your training a little bit for the summer. So we're going to talk summer training and what you should be doing, not only to stay motivated, but also to potentially make tweaks so that you get the right thing out of your summer training. As always, of course, before we do that, we're going to jump into some current events and we're going to do a little shameless self-promotion today so forewarning forewarning on we don't get to do it very often we don't yeah so every once in a while we'll do it and And we don't have any advertisers so you guys have been (laughs) lucky to this point already anyway (laughs) today's the day we do some shameless self-promotion presented to you by rogue (laughs) running before the running rogue podcast we get there we've got to talk comrades comrades is an ultra race in south africa that's some odd distance, like 60 miles, right? Or uh, it's 58, 58 miles. Something. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And 86 K. I think they alternate years. So every other year is an up year. Every other year is a down year. So they're alternating the direction of the course. Sometimes you're climbing, sometimes you're going downhill. And what many people don't maybe realize about comrades is that the downhill years are the tougher years because you're working all those eccentric motions with the quad and that could just absolutely trash don't you. tell that to everybody this year who did the uphill year because they would probably disagree at this moment but of course they will more they will agree with us next year when they go when they do the down of course so we had the first american female winter sen- winner since ann Trayson in 96 97 and Trayson, if some don't know that that name she's sort of the godmother of trail running she's the joni benoit of ultra running exactly mm-hmm. and was beating men in a lot of races when it yes. came to the western states and stuff like that so ann Trayson is someone who's in not the beating men winning overall right? right that's what you meant basically yeah, exactly. was winning she, the overall title she's yes. on the mount rushmore of trail racers male or female correct and maybe on the mount rushmore of runners generally too i mean there's an argument for her given the fact that we've neglected that as we talked about a couple podcasts ago about killian I mean, I'm not making that argument right this minute, but she definitely is is royalty of an American distance running, if not world distance running. And so she won in 96-97 back-to-back, which was a rare feat at the time. But Camille Heron, U.S. ultra runner, is now the first American to win that race since Ann Trayson. She ran it and, and pretty solidly beat the competition. There were a couple of experienced African runners there behind her. But she won by more than five minutes, and 
Funny, funny story at the end, she kind of got to this grass right before the finish line, stopped thinking she was done, and then they said, no, no, you've got a little more And she didn't even pay attention go. then. So, yeah, and she's even then she was like, like okay, like, here we go. Like playing with her rose. <laughs> it, like. wasn't, uh, it, it, it wasn't, <laughs> she was very casual about her finish. So, in other words, she wasn't stressed by her competition, pretty soundly won. And, and that's a big deal. Comrades is a big deal. It's often won by South African runners because they kind of understand the terrain and the weather and all of those things. But Comrades is a tough, tough race. You had someone there from Team Rogue. Yeah, John Arbrust ran it recently, his first time to do it. Um, and, and he is uh, incredibly detail-oriented in the things that he does. And he's new to the ultra-running world, but he is enthusiastic, excited. We had a lot of fun with it. I'm super excited to walk through his comrade's journey with him because we did it this year, and we're going to get ready to do it again next year because he finished this race and said, beyond a shadow of a doubt, all the other plans that he'd had, he had some plans for some ultras. He is still on track for a great CIM, California International Marathon race. He wants to do well there. But as usual, these sorts of... Um, epics i like to call them uh a marathon a well-run marathon is an epic race but these epics these these events that are just like so far beyond the pale which i mean really comrades isn't thousands and thousands and th tens of thousands of people run it every year but it's it's not something that's that fits into some kind of tidy little package and so the idea of trying to accomplish you know a 58 mile race when you're a marathoner, it puts it in the epic category. And I think that's the cool thing about comrades. Well, and, and it's it, also a, like Boston is it's a whole cultural experience. Everyone comes out for it. It is. It is Western states, Boston comrades, foot races at that level. These are the foot race. Any human being can actually enter. I mean, you might not make it into Western states, right? And in Boston, you might not make it into it. You know, there's a lot more people get to run in Comrades, but Comrades is a much bigger thing. But it is, Comrades is in, in the world. It is at that level. And it's a road race, too, which we should clarify. So it's an ultra-distance road race. Sounds like Rogue's got a new destination race. <laughs> I'm not sure. We might have to what play did, with this What one did a John bit. say? What was his experience that once that draws him back so the first thing he said is that it is a an event par excellence right it's done right it's it is like when you go to boston and you have the whole feel it's 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 not recognized in the united states necessarily so much but in in the world and in south africa it is a boston experience and anybody who's been to boston knows what that experience is um, any ultra runner that's gone to Western states, they know, or Hard Rock, they know what that actually is. It is, it is a an experience par excellence. It's just the ne it's next level shit, and I think that suckered him in. Number two, he had a pretty aggressive goal. He wanted to run under nine hours, and he used um, our training protocol with Team Rogue, and he followed our training program, um, and he jettisoned some of the training protocols he got out of a, a an online source that he utilized who. Um, is a South African who knows how to run this race. He followed our Saturday long run plan and then did his extra comrades-based plan, buttressing that, and then did our Tuesday-Thursday rogue group. And he was really nervous about whether he would be affect how that would affect him. I told him his general noobness was going to be the bigger issue. <laughs> As I said to him in an email, I said, listen, I was pretty much 75% sure. I Actually, let me change that. I think I actually wrote in the email. 95% sure you were going to fail in your objective to run under nine hours. 
But he ran nine hours and 36 minutes, was on pace all the way to about, I think he said like 80K. So he kind of, the wheels really came off at the end and missed it by 30 minutes or so. Um, his, he just shut down, you know, neuro, neuromuscularly, he just shut down. As he said, mentally, he was in a really good spot. John's also a really interesting character. He's, he plays poker on the world series of poker tour. So right. I, he, and we might have to get John on this podcast at some point in time, just cause he's a super cool guy and he's got and a lot of probably other, a lot of parallels to poker. No, we talk about out. We've been talking about the mental training stuff and I'm like, don't listen to those podcasts. You're like way beyond that. I should be getting Intel from you about how you, how you work yourself in those kinds of situations. But I think he walked away from it. You know, I think walking away and, and just barely missing an objective has a really strong pull and, um, and I think that John's really looking for those things that will stretch him because the experiences that he has of playing hours and hours and hours at t- on, a t- on end, sitting at a table with cards in his hand against his competitors, creates a mental sort of stress that, that he feels like a, ha- a well-run marathon. I'm arguing that a well-run marathon is equal to that. I'm not sure I'm winning over him over in that area, but he is excited about CIM. But certainly the ultra running world and, and this race at Comrades sort of hit a point that said it's an epic. It's something it's something beyond, and therefore it, there is value to it. And uh, again, I, 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 t- I take my hat off to him for getting done what he did get done and was shocked at how well he did do. But um, I do think that this race and, and what Camille did um, hopefully will bring this race to the public consciousness in the United States as sort of a ultra crazy country now, but, but we're, comrades isn't selling out. I mean, in the world has, we, I bet you the United States per capita is the least frequented people going out one there. percentage running that race. But not that I'm making arguments that we should all go do it. I'm just saying it's a real big race, and for Camille to win it is amazing. And John's intel back talking to us about it was really, really cool. Um, you know, Patrick Hall, who's one of a, a, a new recent, all long-term Austin running person who's been around for a long time. He's South African. He's lived in the States for 25, 30 years. He has done comrades on and off and has argued with me many times that we should go out and do it. Um, I'm always like, rah, rah, rah. Yeah. now I'm like, hmm, there's a lot of things something's lining up. It. There's something's there. For reference, Camille did it in just under six and a half hours, <laughs> which is ridiculous. And of course, John John's time is also very, very solid at, at just over nine and a half. Mm-hmm. But to imagine the fact that the female winner beat him by three and a, or three hours, more than three and a half, more than three hours is is unreal. Well, it's actually not that unreal because John's at this point in time about a you know, three ten, three hour, three ten, runner. We're not really sure exactly where he is. So, but I'll tell you what: the skill set that John brought to the table is similar to the skill set that Camille brought to the table, which is steel between the ears. I mean, there's iron. Yep. There's an iron will. There's a mind that's a steel trap, and there's an ability to not be prepared for an event, but yet somehow find the ability to get there which is a little bit in direct juxtaposition. We just, we just recording this right after our conversation with coach Barnett. So I'm going to throw a little thing in here and I threw at him at the very end of that last podcast that it, my mentor Bev Kearney talked about there being a jump that had to happen between the training that you did and real excellence. And his argument was, no, we train to that level. And I didn't want (laughs) to mess with the end of our last podcast but that's not the way I see it. Um, 
a deep respect for Coach Barnett and where he's at and how he's dealing with the athletes that he's dealing with in the way he is. But I do think there is, and I think athletes like Camille and John, um, you know, one at the at, at an international pretty high level, and John, who's a, a regular schmo, proving it as well that he was not prepared and could not have prepared for 58 miles, but yet he very closely reached the thing that he wanted. And I do think there's something to that. So. 58 uphill miles. Uphill miles. Yes. And John is only really in the last couple of years gotten into he's running a, at he's all. He's a relative new. So yep. impressive result. Congrats to Camille mm-hmm. and John. Yep. So now let's segue into our shameless self-promotion. We got we got to talk about, because we haven't yet, Fast Camp. Mm-hmm. We promoted a little bit in our newsletter and on Facebook. But I want to talk about how this kind of came together, then what it is, and then let those that listen know about it so they can have the opportunity to, to join us. We're doing this adult running camp of sorts at the end of July, July 28th through 30th. That's a Friday through a Sunday. And we're collaborating with Run Lab, our partners here in downtown Austin at 410 Pressler Street, on a three-day workshop of sorts with adult runners to help them become faster versions of themselves. And it came together out of a conversation with Dr. Davis, who works with Run Lab, who's also been on this show a couple of times, because we have such complementary skill sets. She knows strength and mobility and running form and biomechanics, and then we know training, running training, We've talked about the mental elements on this podcast, but what we're doing with this camp is really drilling down into all of that to another level on training principles, to another level on mental training, and to another level on strength, mobility, running form, so that anybody who attends can walk away with some tangible tactical things they can take away in their own running to become faster. So we want to tell people about that. What would be your sales pitch, Steve, on somebody of why they should come at least check out and maybe attend Fast Camp? Theory versus practice. That's it. So I'll extrapolate a little bit from there. But everything we were talking about on this podcast is theory. And most of you are sitting in a car or got headphones on. And maybe you're taking notes. Probably most of you aren't. But are you actually taking these ideas that we're discussing and workshopping it in a sense the saying talking through it with yourself or maybe with another person and trying to come up with clear, concrete ideas about how you can implement it into the actual workout you're doing the next day. Hell no, you're not. And we're going to make you do that. Not, we're going to make you actually get a little naked and stretch yourself a little far. We're going to ask you to maybe do a, get yourself a statement of purpose and maybe share it with a couple of other people or in an environment where you might feel a little bit nervous about that. And we'll sort of push the edge of what that statement of purpose is in a way that you might not be able to do with Chris or I individually because we don't coach you um, one-on-one or we don't coach you in a group, but we're going to do that in this group environment and we're going to ask each other to do that with each other. So we're asking you to take this theory that these theories that we put out there. And if you're enjoying our podcast and it seems like based on what competitors said about us last the other day, people are enjoying what we're saying and what we're doing and where we're going, but you guys need it. If it's just this, mental masturbation is not going to do us any good we need to put the boots on the ground we need to try to get you guys to figure out how to do this and to put it into practice and we're going to do that at fast camp we're going to actually put this stuff into practice and it's not just going to be the chris and steve show you're also going to get a whole bunch of other really fundamentally you know really fundamentally important pieces of the puzzle figured out from a physiological standpoint as well so that's my pitch it's theory we've been talking about let us help you show how to put it into practice. 
So it'll start on Friday the 28th, July 28th, about 1 o'clock. It's going to be a, and it'll go through Sunday midday. You'll have <coughs> meals included Friday night, Saturday morning and afternoon for lunch, and then, of course, Sunday morning. It's going to be a combination of lecture format where we're talking about some of these things in a little bit more detail, but also a lot of practical application, exercises that you're doing both individually and with the group. You're also going to get an individual strength and mobility assessment from Run Lab so they can help you identify the specific areas of weakness that you need to work on with also sort of a, a set of protocols and routines you could potentially add to your mix and your training in order to improve on some of those weaknesses. So the idea is that you walk away, as I said, with training mental and physiological strength mobility components that can help make you a faster runner. The cost is $400. For the weekend, that includes those four meals I mentioned. Includes a long run with Rogue. A long run on Saturday with, with our groups. And but we're going to offer a discount to our listeners. So we're going to offer the 350 for, to our listeners. I'll have a link to that special price in our show notes. So if you're listening, check it out. If you have questions, of course, contact us. You can email me at chris at Rogue Running or Steve at Steve Sisson at Rogue Running. Either of us would be happy to answer those questions because we want to help you get faster at Fast Camp. We're limiting it to 30 people, so it's going to max at that, and then we'll we'll sell it out and go from there. So there you go. Shameless self-promotion. I also threw a same, shameless self-promotion about us getting a little love from Competitor Magazine in our podcast, we too, did. which we hadn't talked about. We got mentioned on Competitor on their website as one of the top five podcasts for runners to listen to now. Yeah, we're rolling with which Rich Roll. Cool. Like, we're like in the same... We're, I'm not saying that we're the same as Rich Roll. I can't go there. I mean, although I ain't worried. I ain't scared. But I'm just... It's cool to be recognized, even just 26, 27 episodes in, for folks to recognize that there's something that we're doing that resonates beyond Central Texas and and into the hearts and minds of runners out there and if you do like what we're doing folks we don't ask you to do this very often but since we're in the shame, same shameless <laughs> self-promotion mode give us a give us a rating on i on itunes send us an email tell us what we're doing right what we're not doing right i just got an email from a, a guy who said that our one of our our topics that we discussed earlier and this uh kind of going into statement of purpose sort of rubbed him the wrong way and he stepped away from the podcast for a little while and then he's come back and he's excited about what we're doing. And I said to him, hey, let us know when we're not. Because we want to, how do you get any better if you don't know what you're doing right or wrong? And not that we did anything wrong. It's just good to know that there's another point of view. And it might allow us to be more flexible and create a better program for you guys. Because we're having fun. And we're not going to stop. As you can <laughs> find out last week, we just talked about high school cross country, which m could very well be one of the least interesting topics if I asked you to download a podcast. We'll see. Hopefully, Coach Barnett, <laughs> who was brilliant, by the way. And if you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen to it. But we're stretching you guys, we know. But it's for your own. It's in your own best interest. It's not just because we want to talk about this stuff. We do, but not just because. We think that there's a lot of other information we can continue to bring to you that will help you be the best athletes you can be. And as you said, we're having fun, but thank you, thank you for listening for those that are listening yes, and, and sharing, of course, with friends and things like that. So we're having fun. We hope you're enjoying what we're doing. And as Steve mentioned, do give us a rating and a review on iTunes always helps kind of promote us, you know, for those that might be looking for a, for a cool show out there. 
So with that, we'll close the chapter on shameless self-promotion. It probably never happened again, but ever. Again, <laughs> check out <laughs> check out Vice Fast Camp. Leave us a review. You can find that, by the way, on our website. If you go to the training button, it's directly under that menu, Fast Camp, with, for more details and info on how to sign up. I'll also, as I said, put that sign-up link in our show notes. Summer running. Summer running. All right, so we're going to switch gears to our main topic, which is how do you stay motivated to run in the summer heat, especially here in Texas, but but also, so that'll be sort of chapter one of this discussion. How do you stay motivated? Chapter two of this discussion will be what do you need to do in terms of tweaking your training to adjust for the heat, if anything. So that's kind of the two two parts, and we'll and we'll walk through a few key points. The first bit, talking about motivation, we've used this phrase before on this podcast, but we've got to bring it back because it's especially relevant in the summer which is embrace the suck. Mm. It's hot, it's humid, it's blazing, you know, hot, sunny in the evening sometimes. And and people like to complain about that, but all the complaining isn't going to change it in the world. So Chris, you just got to embrace the suck. You and I both, we do, a, we have a role at Rogue. We play on Saturdays occasionally. I play it most of the time. Chris plays it sometimes. It's called coach of the day. That means on Saturday morning, you're the one to get all those poor poor souls who have got to get their 22 or 24 mile run in prior to Chicago in August and it's hot and it's just miserable out there and you're trying to not give them so much motivation that their first couple of miles are too fast but enough to keep them sustained through the process my favorite thing to say in that time which for many people we won't be surprised it's usually a deflation instead of an inflation it's weather is weather is if you can actually get that into your thick skull and realize that it's not going to change because you whine about it. It's not going to get cooler because you are having a bad day or maybe one too many margaritas the night before, right? It's just is. And facing that, getting acquainted with the fact that it's going to suck and suck kills you or makes you stronger in the absolutely terrible cliche that's out there, right? It's one of my least favorite cliches is what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It's almost like what doesn't kill you should have and how (laughs) do you deal with it, right? So I'd like that a lot better because it's if you've been in Central Texas, we're not playing around, folks. I mean, I know on the East Coast in the summer you guys have your struggles. California, shut up. You don't even know (laughs) what we're talking about. It's more akin to Colorado in the winter or the the North in the winter. We, We have... In the South and in Central Texas especially, we just have both a heat and humidity complex that's just miserable. And for our athletes, a lot of times it's just this is the time to go through pain and suffering that has nothing to do with A, your fitness, B, your mental toughness, or C, what you may or may not have done that day. Now, you can all three of those things could affect your suck a lot worse, but the fact is the weather just is what it is and and this if the suck is coming no matter what what chris and i are trying to tell you is embrace it you mentioned on episode 25 where we talked about personal power this idea of don't be a victim mm-hmm. take control of your situation and i think that applies really relevantly here because you can be a victim to the weather or you can own it, take it by the balls and <laughs> embrace it and use it for your you know, ability to get stronger. One practical thing I want to say here is that 
and I find myself doing this a lot too, complaining about the weather, talking about the weather. Oh, it's hot. It's hot. It's like, yeah, we all know that, but we talk about it constantly. I hear people in our groups talking about it constantly. And I want to challenge people to not talk about the weather and or to get away from people that are obsessed with talking about the weather, because I do think it's easier to embrace the suck and, and take ownership of this idea that can make you stronger if you're not constantly being negative about it. Yeah, Michael Breen is a athlete I coach. He's let's just say he's next level shit when it comes to being a surgeon. All right. And, and I've recently gotten the chance to coach him. Um, hadn't been able to coach him before he was working with another coach and I, but he's been a rogue for a long time. And when I first met him, as I first started working with him, he said to me, one of the most important things you ever said. And the most important things you say is what I said earlier, which is weather is. And it's the point that Chris is making is that that statement basically requires you to flip the script on whatever story you're telling about what weather is. It doesn't fucking care. It's going to do its thing. And if you're able to dance with it instead of letting it, instead of having it just overpower you and you dance with it, you've got a different situation going on. And yeah, it's probably going to win. It's the same thing we talk about with the marathon frequently. You know, the marathon always wins. And the summer in our neck of the woods in Central Texas, the the weather always wins in that regard. But you can get over on it in ways that if you can frame it correctly, get yourself set in terms of the way that you think about it, Chris. What are some practical applications of that um, sort of embracing the suck and not being a victim part? How How would some athletes say, okay, I've got a quality workout. It's 85 degree, 80 degrees in the morning, which is what it usually is here in July. It's 5.30 in the morning and I'm meeting for the group, but it's also 85% humidity. And I walk in, I walk out my front door, get in my car to drive to, to Rogue to do this workout. What can they do? What, what, what steps would you suggest for that person? That athlete comes to you and says, like, I'm just so soft here. I can't get tougher. How do they get tougher that well, way? One thing I do is or think about is the positive side of the fact that it's hot, which is that I never have to worry about my wardrobe decisions (laughs) (laughs) in a summer day. And when you're waking up at 445 to be here by 530, that's really important. (laughs) It's like all that matters is that I pull out, you know, my half tights, my socks and my shoes. He still wears half tights in the summer, folks. And, and, you know, I bring a towel with me. But, you know, it's the same thing every day versus in the winter. I've got to think about gloves and beanies and you know layers and all these other things, and that changes from day to day depending on the weather here. So one is just bringing a positive out. It's like, yeah, it could be worse. I could be, could be thirty-five degrees, which people will complain about too. Um, but and we'll get to some of this stuff in a second. But I think you also have to prepare and know that you're prepared to deal with that challenge of the heat and. A big part of that is hydration. And most people neglect in the summer their daily hydration. They don't think about what they're doing from a hydration standpoint and hydration with electrolytes during the day that's helping prepare them for the next workout. We often worry about in the context of the workout, but we don't prepare in the hours in between. So then you go into that hot workout in a deficit from a hydration standpoint and it's going to suck even more. 
Yeah, you're case. a day late and a dollar short, right? right? You're right up against it. I mean, Chris, a lot of it is a lot what we talk about, the super hydration process that we've talked about in a couple other, in one other episode, talking about marathon-specific preparation going into the race week. We talk about super hydrating and making sure that you get yourself on a balanced schedule so that you're not trying to hydrate just at the very end of the, you know, 24-hour window prior to a race and a marathon because that can you know Mess you push out your electrolyte system you can be completely de- de- depleted of everything else we're asking i mean in essence we're saying you're going to have to do that in the summer in in a heat in a heat hot place you're going to have to do that all year all day long all week long all month long all summer long it's getting on top of that plan and saying you know for most people our recommendation is about a gallon of water a day if you drink a gallon of water a day you know, you're also going to have to take in electrolytes at the same time because that's going to be a ton of water that's going through your system. Folks, try to drink a gallon a day. And and if you do and you get your electrolyte balance right, whether you do that with salt tabs or you do it with a noon or you do it with any other electrolyte replacement, even emergency is a great way to get that in. It doesn't matter what other thing you're doing. It's just continuing to get epically Get, get yourself to a position where you've got a lot of liquid into your system, but you're also getting the electrolyte balance in there. And you're going to feel about 25% better than anybody else out there because most people just generally are dehydrated. A lot of folks in the summer are in a bit of a party mode, whether they know it or not. So now they're drinking a little bit more from the alcohol standpoint, and they're probably getting even more depleted and behind the schedule. And so you might even be 50% ahead of the game for the people that you're running with on a day-to-day basis because you're actually in an optimally prepared scenario by hydrating effectively. A couple of practical things here. One is, as you mentioned, electrolytes. I tell my athletes that a third to a fourth of the water they drink every day should be supplemented with electrolytes. You can do that with electrolyte water from places like Whole Foods. You can do that with Scratch, with Noon. With You can just take salt tabs which I've done in absence of having scratch yep. and noon at times, you know, while I'm at work. And so you you need to establish a daily routine around getting those electrolytes in. Personally, I like scratch. I'll buy it in bulk and then do one mid-morning serving and then one mid-afternoon serving a day. So two servings basically, which is 16 ounces with electrolytes, 32 ounces total to supplement my hydration, which is about a quarter of a gallon. And when so I do it, set. when I do it, I love emergency or Whole Foods' version of emergency, which is a lot of it, which is a similar product, but different in the sense that it's it's really concentrated. So you right. if you're going to choose emergency, um, be sure that you follow the instructions on the packet where you you do it in a much smaller quantity and you slow sip it and you're not pounding it. Um, but it doesn't really matter. Ultimately, right. we, uh, we Chris has his favorite. I have my favorite. I probably will switch at some point in time. He might switch it, but it doesn't really matter. Just be sure you're getting that in. I started doing it two summers ago, recognizing, and, and, and I'm not someone who sweats a lot. I don't struggle necessarily with heat. I've never had you know issues with heat exhaustion or severe dehydration, but I started supplementing with electrolytes, the sort of scratch routine I talked about two summers ago, noticed a dramatic difference in how I felt during my runs and workouts. And so I would play with that and see how you do. The other thing to remember is that, you know, there's there's a water intake, there's, you know, electrolyte balance, there's all these things, and it's kind of hard to figure out, well, how much of all of those things do I need? Because it can be very individual. And what it comes down to, what I tell my runners, is you got to watch your urine. Your urine is really the ultimate test. Your urine color, 
If your urine color is too yellow, then that means you're not getting enough water, period. If it's too clear, meaning you don't see any yellow at all, then you're probably getting enough water but not enough electrolytes. So it's literally flushing straight from your bloodstream, knocking on the wall of your cells, but it can't go in because electrolytes help you absorb it, going straight then to your kidneys and out your bladder. So if your, your urine is too clear, then you're probably not getting enough electrolytes. But, so you want it to be very, very faintly yellow and try to keep it that way as consistently as you can. Obviously, it's going to ebb and flow like immediately after a workout. The other thing to remember after a long run on a Saturday is that you want to try to be peeing again as quickly as you can. Mm. So you can drink whatever you need to on the run and drink to thirst there. But when you get done, start hydrating and make sure you kind of get to peeing again as quickly as you can because you got to kind of re, you know get back to work on rehydrating post a big long effort on a hot day. And if you don't, you're going to know it because it's going to be hard to pee because it's going to be thicker than like it's going to be gold. And if you are drinking alcohol, which is totally fine, we're going to have some of that ourselves. Yep. Just make sure you supplement at the end of the night and just put a bunch of water back before you go to bed to kind of offset the dehydration that alcohol might cause. Yeah, one thing I want to add to that, Chris, in terms of the hydration thing is um, we've talked about this, and Coach Barnett talked about this in the last episode about what he asks his kids to do is to keep a log, writing stuff down, keep us accountable. I do think from a hydration standpoint, those of you who are already doing food logs, you already know this. Those people who are doing um, written logs already know this. But most, but many other folks are utilizing their their geekometers, their Garmin's, and their other GPS devices to to log for them and tell them what's going on with their running. Um, but it's not going to work for you from a, a hydration standpoint. So I highly suggest you get a little notebook and you just start tracking what you're putting in, what you're putting out. And what that looks like from a color perspective, because it's really important. What are you putting in? How much are you urinating? And what does that urinate look like? I'm not asking you to weigh your pee, right? <laughs> or even pay so close of attention to what you're putting in from actual liquid, but really is where is your where is your urine at? And write it down because you have an you might have an idea about it, but logging it creates a, a real trackable record because we're, our minds play tricks on us, folks. I don't know how many athletes that I've talked to that told me that they were running 85 miles a week when they were running 60. Um, it's just, and it's the same, that we just have this innate sense. We talked about this in the personal power episode, this innate sense to sort of psychologically protect ourselves, to, to say, to create an excuse or to create the best case rosy scenario without really looking at brass tacks. And just keeping a log keeps you honest. So keeping a log with what you're doing, taking in, and what that intake is actually happening out on the road. Those of you who are really into this stuff, I highly suggest on your long runs. We do it here at Rogue frequently. Carolyn was just doing it the other day. Bring a scale. Weigh yourself before you start. Weigh yourself right after you get off of it. And then if you can look at what's going on from a urine perspective, thinking about what you put and what you put out, you're going to start to get some really, really good numbers. And it, it, yeah, folks, you might sound like we're geeking out over some silly stuff. But when I Chris said it earlier, and I said it even before that, this, these things make a huge difference. I mean, they make a difference in the way you feel every single run, to say nothing about the kind of quality we're getting. And folks, a 5% difference in performance is what people take drugs for. <laughs> it's why guys are fucking doping out there, to get a 5% increase. And we're telling you, you're going to get a 10, 15, maybe in some cases, 20% increase in terms of performance by just taking care of yourself, logging it, tracking it, figuring out how to take care of it. 
Right. Don't be a victim to the heat. The other thing to mention, in addition to hydration, because I do think it's important to make the distinction between being properly hydrated and overheating. Sometimes those two things are unrelated. Because you also need to manage your body temperature as much as you can, doing things like wearing as little clothing as possible. If you are wearing clothing, make it light colored so the skin, the sun is reflecting off of it. In environments like ours that are really humid, doing as much as you can to stay cool for as long as possible. That would include maybe not having a hot coffee before you start your training again, because that's only going to increase your core body temperature. Also, pouring little bits of cool water on the back of your neck or the top of your head can start to activate some of those cooling zones in your body. The benefit of hats, light, light-colored hats, which many people think pull the heat in and hold the heat in. They do in a sense, but the skin, the, the cooling of the skin immediately and instantaneously makes a huge difference as well. There's a reason why when you see them at the Olympic Games and it's hot, everybody's wearing a hat. And everybody's, oh, a, he- a hat keeps the heat in. Well, I don't know. All these guys are wearing the hats. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, if you Galen Rupp is wearing a hat in Rio, you should be you wearing don't a hat. Wear a black hat. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> a white, cool white hat and, would work. And if you do get into trouble, because heat exhaustion can happen to even the most prepared, for reasons sometimes that are unexplainable, then you got to move as quickly as possible to first reduce your body heat, then get hydrated. You know, the other day at the trail race, we had one of our runners overheating and you know she had some friends there helping her that were trying to get her to drink water and i'm like whoa you know yes that's important but get a towel dip it in some ice (laughs) you need to get that around her neck as quickly as possible because when you're having heat exhaustion the fastest way to cool yourself is not to drink water but to put ice on you cool yourself with a wet towel that Mm -hmm. sort of thing so maybe you know and that's another thing you can use you know paul terranova I was watching him. I mean, he is the, one of the most detailed runner, uh, runners I know, and he's doing, of course, crazy four- and six-hour runs sometimes. But he brings a cooler with him for a 20-mile run on a Saturday if he's here with us. And in that cooler is the fluids that he needs pre and post and ice and a cold towel. And he's putting that on the back of his neck when he gets done because he knows the importance of managing this kind of thing. Incidentally, I was recently reading an article about ice baths and their effectiveness as it relates to muscle recovery. One of the things that it said is less definitive is in terms of recovery, muscle recovery, it's sort of less definitive. The science is out whether Mm -hmm. or not it actually helps you feel better the next day or, or your muscles recover faster. But one thing that they did point to in some of the more recent studies about it is that doing an ice bath post a warm run allows your body temperature to come down faster which doesn't necessarily cause your muscles to recover faster, but it causes your body to go into recovery mode faster so that it can start to repair itself and replenish itself to get ready for that next effort. So cooling that body temperature as quickly as you can is going to be really important as well. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So let's go. So we kind of, we talked embrace the suck and some ways that you can make it easier to embrace Mm -hmm. the suck. Let's talk about some other ways that people can stay motivated through the summer simply by mixing it up, doing some different things. Now, there's some training ways to do that, and you've got some options with Team Rogue right now where people can kind of choose different paths for the summer to work on you know, what they need to work on. So talk a little bit about that and how you can kind of mix it up in your training, and then we can talk about other ways you can mix it up. So 
we created three tracks this summer at Team Rug. And that's a little unusual. Usually we'll do uh I'm going to I'm going to name check the great Jeff Knight who is our training uh our, our our head of training here for a while and our good both Chris and I's good friend um, miss him greatly. He's still in Austin, but he's with the Devil Under Armour. They're not really the Devil, but he's <laughs> not with us anymore. We miss him a lot. But he had a big summer of miles that he did like one year or two years in a row, where he asked people to make big goals, and he wrote them on a sheet of paper. He wrote them on a big whiteboard that was available for everyone to see. And that's one way to do it is to is to just get a group of people and just decide over the summer. And your in the example that you're talking about is embracing the suck is just saying, you know what? Here, let's do it. Let's take advantage of this. Let's let's do something. We're not going to be able to get high quality workouts in because it's just going to be hard to do go fast in hot weather conditions. But we can go long. Um, his group was a, particularly a morning group, so it was a little bit easier to manage that. Those folks who train in the evening, it makes it much tougher to get those big miles in. But that's one thing you can do is is big miles, right? My team road group, we're doing three different tracks. One is getting ready for a fall marathon, which guess what? You just got to train like we train all the time. We adjust. And we lower the volume. We lower the intensity. I make subtle changes in what we do in the summer to get people ready for, say, Chicago or, or, or whatever. But, but that doesn't change that much. What we've been playing with the other two things are what I call a mileage base and a speed base program. It's a little different for what Jeff was doing in terms of a true summer of miles. The mileage base is just saying, hey, we're going to realize that we don't have a race that we're keying on right away in the early fall. So we've got a chance to sort of shore up our weaknesses. And we talked about this before in a couple of our different podcasts about mental training is working your weaknesses early so you can work on your strengths later. And what I've asked my athletes to do in the summer is to go down one of two tracks. Either it's what they needed at the moment because they've been away, they've been injured, or they've not worked on mileage, or maybe they're a 40 to 50 mile a week person and they really do need to get 60 to 65 because we know that's going to benefit them. But it's really hard to do that when we're doing quality work at the same time. So for that group, I'll be like, hey, we're going to do 60 to 65 miles a week. We're going to continue to keep one quality workout in. But that's what our whole focus is all summer long is bumping your mileage 10 miles a week over the summer. Not trying to get a huge mileage jump, not even maybe the highest mileage you've ever gotten, but sort of a sustained 12 to 8-week block of training. Continue to do a little bit of quality in there, but focusing on the mileage. And the other group is doing what we're calling a speed base. And, man, we're having fun with that group. And it's going to get more and more fun because um, I haven't been coaching coaching post-collegiate athletes for a little while, so I haven't had my steeplers and my 1,500-meter runners and my 800-meter runners, which I usually have. And I've been realizing and recognizing one of the big weaknesses my marathoners have is that their economy is for shit. And by that I mean they've been running long, hard miles for so long and only getting a little bit of 5K, 10K pace work in. And most of that 5K, 10K pace work has been – in to just get what we call vo2 max training or that that real aerobic capacity training that we need to get in and not because they need to do it physiologically um i realized hey if we work a little bit on our 3k and our 1500 meter paces lower our volume a little bit but work those two things the summer's a great time to do that because our workouts are three miles long or four miles long not instead of the six or seven miles long in terms of the quality chunk so we're working on speed base. You know, today we did one of my uh, my favorite um, like pre- race prep workouts I do for 5K runners right when they're getting ready for racing. We call it the Ruth's Ladder. It's um, a 600, a 400, a 300, a 200. 
and it's all done at 3K paces, which for marathoners is very fast. And we do three sets of it, and they get a big rest between it. And mostly it's just turning the lights on for that neuromuscular recruitment of those paces. And bodies are able to do it because our volume is only at about three miles for that workout as opposed to like the other group that was training for, for the mileage base. They were doing six times a mile at slow paces to start getting a little faster, but they had to do the big volume. And my speed base group got to do shorter stuff. So, yeah, I got a little specific on the exact workouts, but the point there was to tell you that you can shift and move into your weaknesses at this time. Don't worry so much about your overall volume. Worry more about what am I needing to work on the most and spend the summer when the weather's not exactly optimal and really dial into those specifics to try to figure out how to get where you need to be. There's a couple of key points that you need to think about here, though. Number one, you need to always, as one of my rules, is always be ready for the next workout or the next run. If you're finding that whatever work you did is so novel and so new and so different from what you're normally doing that you can't get out to do your runs for the next couple the next day or the next two days check yourself you're probably going a little too hard a little too fast you don't want to work your weakness that much you don't want to be like when you go into the weight room the first time and you tear up your pecs and you can't even move <laughs> for like two to three days let's be careful that we don't overdo it you don't want to push it too much and number two you want to make sure that you're still in a positive mental state i mean it, you don't want to do these things just because as we said embrace the suck there is a point uh, you don't want to just embrace the suck just to embrace the suck, okay? There, There is a law of diminishing returns to that. Be sure you're staying in a positive mental state and that you're feeling like whatever thing you're taking on, whatever weakness you're working on at that moment, in the long run is going to benefit you because you turned the leaf a little bit, you changed the way you were doing things, and you were actually hopefully having fun. So you're talking about pushing one variable to work on your weaknesses, either adding volume and reducing intensity or increasing intensity but reducing the volume because the heat really doesn't allow you to do both at one time well actually based on all of our other training principle things we've <laughs> talked about you can't do either of those at the same time period true we cheat it i mean i will be honest like yeah. we do cheat it because we have to um and that's why athletes are on the edge of injury i mean when people say why do people get hurt and in my group people get hurt more than they probably do in other groups and if you just go talk to the PTs that see my athletes they're <laughs> going to tell you that I'm crazy and psycho and I put people in into tough places but basically what I'm doing is saying I have to create a couple more variables because what their goal is we need to do that but yes over the summer in decrease your variables and just focus on one or two things to try to get better at it because you just can't it's it's a great time to do it and when you don't have a race right there you have the luxury Okay, let's talk about other ways. So we talked about ways to mix it up within the course of a training cycle. But what are some other ways to mix it up? And, you know, we've talked about some of them on this show. You know, there's trail, there's triathlon, there's picking a different sport to do. Or maybe, you know, I have one athlete who trains with me year round. But during the summer, she gets really into cycling because she can do that. The weather's good for it and you can, you got, you're carrying water with you everywhere. So it's easier for her to manage it. And so she, on Saturdays, instead of doing our long run, she do, she goes for a long bike ride and then we'll be, you know, there for our Wednesday quality workout. So she's kind of doing more cycling in the summer and that keeps her motivated year round. So find a variation and experiment with it. Absolutely. I mean, I've been coaching Central Texas adult athletes for marathons for 15 years now. And I'll tell you, I love it when my athletes tell me they're going to train for a triathlon in the summer. Because I know for a fact that they're stepping away from the sport 
in the command performance mode that we talk about. And most of the athletes that I coach, I require them to get into that space. If you've heard, listen to this podcast enough, you know that we're in that space all the time. And if they're going into triathlon, they're at least being in that command performance for a triathlon, but most of them aren't even doing that. They're just pushing the noodle and getting into the water a little bit and riding the bike. You know, it's awesome. My favorite of all is trail running. As everyone knows, I'm a, I'm, I trail run a lot. I'm a big pusher of trail running. It, it, it is such an amazing way to get a lot of the little boxes checked off, a little mental break. It allows you to get into a cooler weather space because usually it's, we're in, we're in you know, some cloud, we're in some tree cover. It's, it's cooler there. Usually there's water source relatively close. You can dip in, you can dip out. Um, you're slowing down. You're working on where your foot placement is. You're trying not to roll over and break your arm and do other crazy <laughs> things. Um, but, you know, my I love trail running because it, it, it really clicks a lot of other boxes at the same time. And the one thing I really do truly love about it is sort of, it's cross-training in the same neuromuscular recruitment spaces that we need. So I know they're getting the aerobic development and they're getting the mitochondrial base exactly the way I want it. The challenge with a cyclist is they are getting aerobically more developed, but not getting the mitochondrial base we're really looking for. It's not a bad thing, so please don't don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying. I'm just saying for those of you who are looking for the most optimal way to do it, if you're in that space, trail running is really the most optimal way to do that. So... We've talked, embracing this, like we've talked about ways to find motivation by mixing it up either in your training or by doing some variation of the sport or, you know, another sport altogether. But let's talk practical training application when it's hot. There's certain things like using pace as an example that just can't be the same when it's too hot outside, when it's 80, you know, 80 degrees and 85, 95% humidity here in Texas your paces aren't going to be the same. Your efforts potentially could be, but your paces might be different. So what are some of the things they need to be adjusting in the context of a, of a training mode and normal kind of training principles that get adjusted for summer conditions? Let's start with pace effort. Um, so the first thing, I'll actually flip this a little bit, go and the first thing they need to do, when we talked about effort-based training, which is one of Rogue's crucial foundational principles. We talked about it at a time of the year where you guys are like, man, 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 whatever. (laughs) Okay. This is when we're talking about effort-based training. I like to tell my athletes what we do from a pace standpoint is we create range. So let's say that your, your marathon, your marathon PR is a 320 for a marathon, right? And I ask my athletes always to say, I want to know what your 5K pace is at 320 pace, your 10K pace at 320 pace, your half marathon pace at 320 pace, and your marathon pace at 320 pace. That's pace per mile. And then when we do interval workouts, I'm saying we're doing eight, we're doing 10 times, a, 12 times a quarter at your 5K pace. You know exactly what that pace is. In the summer, what I say is, okay, for a 320 athlete, we're going to go 315, 320, and 325. And I'm going to create a pace range. Now, I do this year-round, but year-round, most of my athletes are nailing, in this case, in this example, a 315 to 320 nearly every time. But in the summer, they're going to hit a lot more 325s. And if they hit 325 over and over and over in that graded range, right, in that 5K pace or that 10K pace, I'm going to tell them, day's over. Like, stop. 
or if they catch it early enough, they're like, Steve, I can't get there. I'll say, stop it, turn your watch off. We now know we're now have to go by efforts. And then, and I don't mean turn your watch off. I mean, go your Garmin to dark and then run that numbers and look at it later at your Strava or however, you, Training Peaks or whatever way that you look at your training information and look at it and see how much slower were you because of weather because that's telling you what's happening from a heat perspective. So I got a little technical there, but what I'm asking you to do is know your range and then listen to your efforts. When you get those two interfaces set up right, you're going to get to the point where you don't even need your Geekometer. You're going to be able to run without your your Garmin or your GPS because you're going to be able to trust the internal temperature and the internal calculations that you get. And you're going to be able to make the crucial and critical adjustments to pace that you need to because you've looked at effort. And this is a time, in my opinion, where you can really learn effort because you don't have a choice. No, it, it, you're, you're exactly right. This is why it's so crucial. I ha- but when you do that, though, I think sometimes people have to let go, you know, let go of their expectations related to pace. I had an athlete doing, he's, run, he's training for the Santa Rosa Marathon, which is at the end of August. Yep. And it's one of the better marathons for those last-minute BQ seekers mm-hmm. because you get cool, dry weather, and they start it really early in Santa Rosa. And so he's targeting that because he wants to get his BQ for next year before the registration deadline. This past Saturday, he had his first quality workout long run. And there were a couple things with that. One is that I adjusted it from what I normally do. I had him do four times two miles with plenty of recovery between each because it was his first one and it was hot and it was first real experience. How far did he run? He went he went 18 mm-hmm. with four times two miles at at marathon pace in the middle, basically, with plenty of rest in between. And I was fortunate enough to saddle up next to him as he was doing his warm-up because I was starting a little bit late. And I told him, I said, hey, a couple of things. One, think about efforts today. I don't want you worrying about nailing your exact pace. Just find your rhythm for those two miles. And two, if you get to the point where you think you're done after three, you know, times two, don't do the fourth. Mm. Like, I don't want you pressing. And afterwards, I texted him. I said, how'd how'd it go? And he wrote me back. And he's, (laughs) I could tell he was disappointed by his tone. He's like, I only did three. And they were five to eight seconds off of marathon. Oh my goodness! Cool that's face. Like, that's like <laughs> kill face. I was like and double, uh, double, uh, double pump slam dunk yeah, right there. So that was my reaction. I'm like, oh, okay, great well, day. He yeah. nailed it. <laughs> One, he listened to his body and didn't push the fourth, and so he made the right decision on the workout. And two, I mean, to hit those paces on in the weather we're having, you know, because for me, I'm I'm adjusting twenty to thirty seconds per mile. Right. You know, from every single pace level to to account for the weather. So if he had told me he'd run 20 to 25 seconds slow, I would have thought that was a victory. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I quickly kind of course corrected his mental framework and said, look, man, you nailed it. That was perfect, especially for your first quality workout, long run quality workout in a cycle. So he's on track. But that's something to remember is you got to make sure you're adjusting for the heat and the conditions and right. finding a trust space within yourself because the teaching moment that you got the most value from there is that hopefully he'll hear that he can trust what he's doing. He can trust what his body's telling him because he self-selected an 8-second to 10-second per mile adjustment in that section or 5 to 8 seconds, I think you said. Yep. I mean, that's 
that that means that he probably pressed a little hard there, right? Because he wanted it really bad. Right. You know, you and I can play a little armchair psychologist here probably <laughs> and figure out that he probably pushed a little bit too hard. He probably overdid it, which is why more, some of what he was telling you is that he did not, could not believe that he could only do six miles at MGP in the summer heat and be six to eight seconds off, which, yeah, you get it. I mean, you can understand how a person, reasonable human being, could be feeling really, really, feel really, really, really bad about that. Yeah. You missed what you expected. No matter how many course corrections you had made in the context of that, you st- he still was not going to reach the objective that he had set out, right? As coaches, you 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 got to be careful of creating goals for people that they can't achieve in training because the, the the pendulum swings very hard and fast the wrong direction when people don't achieve the thing that they need to. But if he's willing to be balanced enough and get the emo- have the emotional clarity and the emotional maturity enough to say, okay, I did do well. I really do trust my coach. He can actually dial that in and say, okay, I can trust where I'm sitting. I can trust where I'm at. And I've now got a little bit more control over how things go. And one other piece about this with an athlete that's getting ready for a you know summer training for those of you who are trying to get your last minute BQ, running a Santa Rosa or running – some of these last-minute races, Erie, wherever else you're going, you guys are not going to get the benefit, at least in our neck of the woods, you're not going to get the benefit of that first cool breeze that comes in in late September, early October. For all our folks who run Chicago and run you know, October marathons, they never, those athletes get that one day where we do a final race pepper, a final long run, and the weather's optimal, and they so crush the run that they realized they were basically altitude training that entire summer long, <laughs> but they didn't know it. And then when they finally get a good weather day, they realize it. But our folks getting ready for those races in in, Oct- in August and sep- early September, they're not going to get those feelings. So we've got to create wins where we can, physiological wins, effort-based wins, understanding where we're at, and finally, most importantly, that they're on top of their training. And you know, you did a lot of great work as a coach to try to get there. And, you know, you're lucky you got there at that moment. Imagine if you hadn't been able to sync up with him, how bad would he have felt and where would it have gone? You're a great coach. You would have fixed it. You would have been able to course correct. But you had great opportunity to give some some real concrete examples. And our listeners are getting the benefit of us talking about this stuff. So, you guys, again, the, the theory and the practice is important. Take some of these things that we're talking about and practically apply them. The only way you're going to be able to practically apply them is to be able to have concrete examples of, of what you're doing from a written standpoint in your training logs or with your garments, using them in Strava or whatever other series you use, and running those numbers up against what you're capable of and then talking to them with your coach or whoever else you're interfacing with. These things are important to trying to dialing it all in. I gave him kudos, as I said, but I, d- I couldn't help, of course, as a coach will do, come back and just say, as a little reminder for little the next time, slap, ass which slap. is that, hey, if you'd run by effort the whole time, you would have done all four of That's them right. and been okay. And probably been about six to eight seconds off. Either, w- exactly, <laughs> right. Either way, we have victory. Yes. But still, you could do it better that next time by f- focusing on effort. The other thing... I think from an adjustment standpoint, and you alluded to this earlier, which is that because of the intensity, because you're slowing down on a lot of these runs because you have to, you're out there longer, you have to shorten. You can't do as many 20 milers training through the summer for August, September, early October race as you would do if you were training for Boston through the Texas winters. So you're going to have to back those long run volumes down because those 20 plus mile days, especially if you're if it's hot like it is here, they beat you up to the point where you can't recover for the next thing. So 
you're going to do fewer long, long runs than you might do in another cycle. Yeah, but in Austin, we've got, we've got the greatest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Two of the greatest things in the world, and soon to be three. We have a little run called The Run From Hell. We have a little run called Mount Banal, and we have a new one we're calling Austin to Boston. These are hilly, hilly runs, and we ask our athletes to run less volume than they normally would in, in, a, in, a, in a winter version of these runs. But these runs are so great because... Your body's not heating up anymore running up a hill. You're slowing down, right? You're, but people think it's so much harder. And if they can be on top of it, Chris, going back to that first point, like suck it up, buttercup. Like really look at it and say, I've got to be tough enough to manage it. We get to you. We use hilly courses to try to get us there because after athletes get done with those 16 to 18 to 20 mile runs on the hills, they're worth way longer than that so that's another thing to consider is that sometimes you can cheat a little bit by utilizing courses that are tougher that have bigger challenges in them whether they're windy or if you're on the beach running out eight mile eight or nine miles and coming back eight or nine miles on a boat you're you can gain some real wins by not having to run the same volume not just physiologically but psychologically and utilize those things over the summer to try to get what you need to get to succeed because you're going to have to adjust somehow adjusting intelligently is utilizing other hills, wind, mental difficulty, uh, whatever it is. There's a lot of different variables that you could throw in there to give a 16 mile run to make it count as 18 to 19 to run an 18 mile run and have it count to 20 to 22 or run a 20 mile run and have it count to 24. I mean, I think I have in my schedule for my folks running uh, Chicago, I think this year I have three 20 mile runs, one 22 and one 24. That's a sh- that is that is a lot less than what I do for my folks getting ready for a spring marathon. I think the other thing in the context of training adjustments is is adjusting the types of workouts you do. You know, as you mentioned on those those athletes that are doing mileage building over the summer, they're doing some workouts every week one one a week just to kind of stay sharp but in a lot of ways those workouts are tailored to a summer environment like the one we did today you said okay we're doing six by one mile plenty of recovery in between each you want to start at about your you said marathon goal pace what i heard was marathon effort right and work down you want to progress the only way you can fail in this workout is if you don't progress right i did create one more variable because we're early and people like to they like to shake their tail feathers a little bit. I made them all go 10 seconds per mile faster because I needed some variable in there that wasn't loosey-goosey because right. I created a lot of loosey-goosey there. But, um, and, you know, at the end of that workout, many some people couldn't get down where they needed to get to, but they learned a lot. Um, some people went out way too fast, learned a lot. <laughs> and at the end of the day, really, what is training? I mean, we are trying to check some physiological boxes off. You hear us talk about that a lot. But more than anything else, we're trying to get you to feel the outside edges of what's going on from a training perspective. And, you know, almost every – I wasn't able to be at that at that workout. I have a, a benefit of having an assistant coach. So he went out to one workout while I went out to another one. But I got to check in with my athletes as they came out from that. And to us, every single one of them came back to me and said, I learned something today, which as a coach – I mean, there is nothing better than knowing that your athletes are able to tell you that when they come back and they're like 
beat dogs, right? They did learn something, but now it's my job to tell them what they learned. Like you had to for your for your you're, for your athlete, right? It's so much better when your athlete comes to you and said, "Hey, I autocorrected in my cooldown. If I didn't autocorrect in my in the context of the workout, which is truly advanced level athletes, like like when we talk about Allison Maxis, do I coach her? I'm not really <laughs> sure. I create some general random parameters. And some of them, as we get right into the last six to eight weeks, as we talked about, they're not random. They're very specific. But she's still in control because she actually is hyper-adjusting within each repetition, trying to determine what she needs physiologically, what she needs psychologically, and making sure she's not pussing out, right? And she's keeping that sort of tri-level thing in, in agreement. And But it's really nice as a coach in the summer early on to have all your athletes, nearly all your athletes, come back and say, hey, coach, I didn't get it right, but I learned something. That's awesome. <laughs> one mile cut downs, I think tempo and steady runs, progression runs, things closes and long closes, runs. Things where you're really just focusing on not looking at the watch, just kind of getting out and running a effort, 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 effort based effort. type of workout is really, really good for the summer because that allows you long sustained periods where you're checking in with your body, figuring out what effort feels like. In those cases, if you don't look at your watch, even better versus you know maybe some really specific track workouts that you might do in cooler temps when you know exactly what you can do and all the variables are are more or less in control yeah so i want to say one more thing about sort of this big picture thing that we're talking about i'm going to come back i've said it a couple times we're going to go back to embrace the suck i want to remind folks or at least bring to their attention in the summer we have a tendency to quit way earlier than we would otherwise and sometimes it's wise sometimes it it's it's not just expedient it's intelligent right if you've got goosebumps all over your body you 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 got to stop but if you're not peeing down the side of your leg if you're not got goosebumps all over your body and if you don't feel like you got to crap yourself at the nearest porta potty you can probably go a little bit more you're never going to find out more about what you're made of or where your edges are than in the summer. And so many of us, and believe me, folks, I'm a guy who all through my collegiate running career, I lived in San Antonio every single summer. I ran 90 to 100 mile weeks every single summer. I had clear objectives that I needed to do with each every single summer. And I'm telling you, the way that I got to get the results that I wanted to in the fall and in the spring was because I did the work in the summer and I always knew it. It didn't make it any easier. I was checking I was checking in with who Steve Sisson was as a human being <laughs> on many occasions but those check-ins those moments and there were times I overdid it there were days that I ran home from work in 105 degree temperatures at a 12 mile run and I tried to close and I literally would go into the local grocery store and dial zero collect call mom can you come pick me up I did that on more than one occasion having to get picked up, but I would never have known what I could or couldn't do if I didn't press it. I'm not asking people to run themselves into the hospital, okay? I'm not asking you to do that, but what I am saying is you're capable of more than you know, and when you get into good weather conditions, that's a really scary place because it gets existential. It gets really about what you're made of. When you're in the heat, it really boils it down to suffering and how much you're willing to suffer, and there's a real binary scenario there it's a one or a zero you're a wimp or you're not <laughs> um and there's not a lot of variation to it and so i do i do really think it's a great opportunity to really embrace that suck and check yourself there 
Um, I can't recommend that enough. Yes, it's a little crazy and maybe a little bit on the edge, and I'm not asking anybody to put themselves in harm's way. But, folks, how are you ever going to know if you don't know? As, as we were talking about with our with the athlete I'm coaching, John Armbrust, who's run, who just ran Comrades, the reason he chose that race was not because he thought he could accomplish it, but just because it was a crazy thing that was out there to do. And he knows some more about himself than he didn't know before. And we should be looking for those opportunities at every turn that we possibly can to test ourselves. Use it to work the mental side. The last thing I'll say from a training standpoint that kind of relates to our point about effort-based work in workouts is that people also have to adjust their expectations related to easy runs, recovery runs. Your paces on those runs during the summer months might be 30 seconds a minute slower than the same run during the winter months. And a lot of people will look at that and beat themselves up over it's like, well, I was only able to run 10 minutes today and I'm normally running nine on these kinds of runs. It doesn't matter. You got it done. That's all that matters. So don't be afraid to slow down even more in the summer on those easy recovery days. Yeah, every training log should have an effort-based number there. You should actually have to put in for every single run what your effort was. That effort means that combined what the workout was, what you're feeling, what your life was, what the weather was, all these other things. And if you're writing an eight, meaning in my book, if somebody writes down an eight, that means I had a pretty darn good day. I don't expect to see too many nines and tens. So an eight means that you got a great day. And if that was 30 seconds to a minute slower than your normal easy run pace, and you can write an eight in there, that eight is worth way more than those 30 seconds you lost or 60 seconds you lost. That's a sort of a concrete way of yep. iterating what you said. And again, if, if you're going to do the work of putting in a hard training log or figuring out what that stuff is, putting in an effort-based gauge there on a daily basis is a, is a really, really valuable thing. All right, that concludes our time on summer training. As we said, get out there, embrace the suck, get it done. This is, in my opinion, the best time of year to train. Once you get over the fact that it's hot and you just grit and bear it, then it's simple. It's brass tacks. It's you're doing it or you're not. And it I is. We've that. had a soft entry this year because we had like February weather in May. So all, all central Texans, I, I feel your pain right now, but you know, you know, what's coming up. You've been through it deal. And those, those folks who are in other weather and other, in other parts of the country, you guys know what it means to train in the heat. Yeah. Do it, get it done. No excuses. All right. So that concludes episode 27 as we mentioned at the top, check it out, the info on Fast Camp. I'll include a link in the show notes for you to sign up for our uh, listener rate at 350 for those three days. And, of course, check us out on our website, roguerunning.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Rogue Running. We'll talk to you next time.